window of opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 1, Episode 12, Fire and Water. Fire and water, you say? And water, both of them, yes. Fantastic. Yes. Um, Okay, so before we get into this week, though, last week you had asked if um, I knew, like, what the sound effect was for, like, the Gould symbiotes when they're, like, swimming around and, like, you know, the little squeaky. Oh, yeah. Did you actually look it up? Nothing's out there. Nothing. I can find nothing. Anytime, any sort of Google inquiry for, like, Gould symbiote sound effect, they're, like, it's always just how the Gould voice modulator works. There's nothing out there about the actual noise for, like, the symbiote. And I even went, like, deep enough into the Google search results that I stumbled upon somebody's, like, master's thesis about sound effects in film and TV shows that included references to Stargate. But it was just, again, about, like, the Gould voice modulator, not... Anything about the little symbiote squeaky noise. So if anybody out there has any idea about the symbiote squeaky noise thing, please let us know because we're dying to know. And now having like Google searches, I'm like, I really need to know what this is now because I spent like (laughs) two hours on this thing and there's nothing. Now it's a full on quest. It's a quest. It really finds the symbiote squeal. It is. (laughs) What on TV makes the sound like this? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's probably like three, four, five different things all, you know, smushed together to make something, but... Oh, man, why didn't we think about this, like, eight years ago when they were still doing conventions? I know! Well, the thing is, like, the the powers that be never really did conventions, except occasionally, like, the Vancouver one. Like, I think Brad Wright showed up once, Mm. and occasionally some of them. No one would that actually would know. No, I, I don't think Michael Shanks would know what <laughs> the sound effect of the cool At least we can all make it up and, and go with that. Yeah. I'm going to say... Like, what what do you think it is? I'm going to say it, it, there, there's like a dolphin and rat and <laughs> some kind of bird. <laughs> I think that sounds about right. I'm going to go with Let's that. Make it. Or maybe like, a, maybe like a hamster instead of rat. Let's go hamster instead of rat because hamsters are cute. At least. So let's go dolphin, hamster, and some kind of bird. Dolphin, rat, bird. Yeah, dolphin, hamster, bird, because rats are gross. Okay, dolphin, hamster, bird. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? What, what's what, what's going to be your sort of creature amalgamation? What's going to be your Frankenstein noise for the Gould symbiote? <laughs> um, I like dolphin. I'm going to go... I, I do think there is some sort of mouse or something involved crap now i'm thinking i'm just trying to think of animals that generally make squeaky noises a rabbit rabbit scream pretty loud okay mm-hmm. all right sounds good yeah. and that's what we got okay yep. well to see which one of us is right probably in like two years when somebody finally listens to this and emails us about hey i know this episode is two years old <laughs> so in case we're listening to this two years in the future we still don't know so please feel free to write it gonna end up just to be some guy that just goes <laughs> not any sort of animal mixture of any kind just just dave <laughs> uh, maybe it's me <laughs> yes <laughs> for those that don't know when i laugh really hard i squeak so <laughs> maybe it's just me. 
Yeah, somebody found you on the, the internet and they're like, hey, I know what this be. All right. Well, anyway, so this week, though, we're talking fire and water, which there are no gold symbiotes, so we don't have to worry about that, at least. Um, so this episode originally aired on October 17th, 1997. This is, again, another one where the story is by Brad Wright and Catherine Powers, but the teleplay is just by Catherine Powers, and it was directed by Alan Eastman. And in this episode, Daniel is taken captive by an alien with a hidden agenda, while SG-1 is made to believe he is dead. Yeah, you know something's wonky when the, the death part starts in the very beginning, which yeah. is good. Yeah, it's kind of like the knocks, how, like, you know, five minutes in, like, the whole team is dead. Mm-hmm. So it's like, like okay, wait. how 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 did we end up here? Yeah. So. So does this get added to the Daniel death count? Uh, yes, it does. It does? Okay. Yes. Because he didn't actually die. He was just thought to be dead. It's generally added to the death count. Okay. Yeah. Got so, it. Yes. Daniel death number four? Four. Okay. Er, the movie, uh, the Knox, and this one. So I think we're only on three. I think this is three. At least by now we know that Daniel would be amazing if he had to go into the witness protection program. Faking <laughs> <laughs> his own death and or going with an alternate identity yes. would be completely okay with it. Yep. Be like, well, people have already thought I've been dead like five times already. Yep. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, to find out how we get to Daniel's dead, uh, this episode opens with Walter entering Hammond's office, which I don't know if he's been named Walter yet, but uh, the gate technician uh, played by Gary Jones, his name is Walter Harriman, which I think he was actually named, like, by the fandom. Like, the fandom gave him his name. <laughs> like, people online just started calling him, like, Walter Harriman, and the writers were just like, okay, his name's Walter. <laughs> oh, that's funny. How they're yeah. like, that dude needs a name. Well, yeah. I don't think he gets a name to, like, I don't know, season three or four. Like, it's a while before he's actually, like, credited with a name, I think. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. So, like, if I go on IMDb and look at earlier episodes, is he going to be credited as Walter or just, like, technician? Um, I don't know if they may have gone back and updated it, but it would have just been, like, gate technician. Mm-hmm. Like, I think maybe if you watch through the end credits of, like, at the end of the show, when sometimes they do that, I think he's just, like, gate technician. So, yeah. Check that out. Yep. I have another fun one for when another character shows up who got... Uh, well, at least their last name because of fandom again. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, proceed. <laughs> All right. So uh, Walter enters Hammond's office and he has scans from a potential planet. And Hammond's like, great, let's give it to SG-4. When suddenly the off-world activation alarms start going and nobody's due back. So it's like full alert as armed guards rush into the gate room. And who comes like stumbling through the gate? It's SG-1. And Hammond orders a medical team to the gate room, and it's only Jack, Sam, and Tilk, and they're sopping wet, and Daniel's not there, and, like, the gate has shut. So, where's Daniel? What's going on? They only left, like, a couple hours ago. They weren't due back quite this soon. So, Dr. Frazier comes in and starts examining them and, like, says they're in shock and tells them to, like, get to the infirmary, and Hammond's like, 
where is Daniel and the rest of the team kind of stumble through what happened and eventually it comes out that Daniel is dead. And Cut very, to opening credits. They're very, very upset about it. Like they can't even upset. talk about it. Yeah. Tilk's like, Daniel Jackson, he didn't. And then Sam's like, he didn't make it. And then Jack is finally the one who says Daniel's dead, sir, or something like that. But yeah, they're very shaken up, definitely in shock. And yeah, something strange has happened on the planet that they were just on. So in the infirmary, uh, SG-1's uniforms are being put into some kind of like biohazard bag and Fraser requests that they be expected inspected for any kind of contaminant. So we're starting to learn that things should be inspected before they're just tossed about willy-nilly in the SGC. Um, and then she goes to like examine Sam and Sam's like wrapped in a bunch of blankets and is still like shivering and like kind of crying. And she's very rambly and she's trying to tell Dr. Frazier what happened. And like, there's something about fire and he called out for help. And then he was just gone. And Dr. Frazier's like, okay, let's just give you a sedative so she can, you know, sleep and like rest for a bit. And maybe then afterwards it'll be okay. And then, uh, over where Jack and Tilk are, Tilk's like, Somebody's trying to take like Tilk's blood pressure and he's like, no, he, like he doesn't want any of this. And Dr. Fraser's like, okay, fine, go get changed, Tilk, you're fine. And then she starts examining Jack and he seems to have some kind of uh, photosensitivity. She like, you know, does the pen light in the eyes and he's like, whoa, no, uh, ow. Um, so she's like, okay, let's maybe wait to do the exam until after the briefing, which I'm like, I don't really know if like a medical exam should be postponed when they're in this kind of state, but you know, okay. I have the same thought of like, (laughs) when ever (laughs) in a situation like that, or they're like, well, you seem to all have something really wrong with you. Let's wait on figuring out what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But like Jack gets up to like walk away and he kind of like pauses, like he, and turns back, like he kind of like wants to say something, but then just like doesn't, and, finally continues on his way and then we get um a kind of montage of each member each member of sg1 recounting what happened on the mission they were just on to hammond and to a camera and so basically what happened is the world appeared to be uninhabited when they got there and there were the holes from like volcanic gas vents sam was taking soil samples and then she starts to say Daniel but then can't really get anything else out and Jack is also having a difficult time sort of speaking but finally gets out that apparently just suddenly Daniel was like engulfed in flames and so the rest of the team ran to a nearby body of water and then that's what protected them and then they came home. So Hammond says he'll send a team through to recover the body. And Jack is very vehemently against that. He's like, no. And then after he says that, he seems to be kind of shocked at himself that he sort of was that vehemently against anybody going back to the planet. Something strange is going on with these guys for sure. Um, And Dr. Frazier finally meets up with Hammond and apparently has now examined the team and says that while physically they're fine, she's worried about their post-traumatic symptoms. And Hammond's like, well, then let's get them back out in the field. And she's just like, uh, no, like we have no idea what kind of effect like gate travel has on mental health. Can we like keep them for a few days? And Hammond finally gives in and tells her, all right, fine. We'll put SG-1 on stand down for seven days. So 
yay, good. <laughs> Thank you, Hammond, because I don't think them going back out into the field in this condition would be a good thing. No, not at all. Um, so then we cut to a memorial for Daniel going on in the gate room. And fun fact, this is an actual real Air Force color guard team doing the memorial. Oh, they brought him in? Yeah. So apparently, um, according to Brad Wright, the production like called the Air Force because the Air Force was quite involved, you know, with the production of the show to just ask how a ceremony like that would be done so they could write it appropriately in the script. And the Air Force was just like, we'll just send you one. So oh. they sent, the Air Force sent over a color guard team. And those are real Air Force members that you see on camera in the gate room doing all of the color guard stuff. That's fun. So they were just like, who wants to go be on TV? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. But I was like, oh, that's cool. That, that is really cool. Yeah. I like when they actually you know get that stuff right and in this case of course they would yes because they do that that's that's their job to do that's that so yep um so then we have jack giving a brief eulogy uh he goes daniel jackson made this place happen as a member of sg1 he was our voice our conscience he was a very courageous man he was a good man for those of us lucky to know him he was also a friend so the now folded flag is presented to Jack, who Jack then passes it to Tilk, who salutes, and then taps is sounded as Sam and Jack walk up the ramp where there's a wreath, which they pick up and send it through the gate. Um, question for you, what address do you think they dialed? Like, do you think that's like the same planet like where they were or like somewhere else, just like a random address? I wondered that myself. I don't think it would be where they were if everyone was so, you know, almost hostile about not going back. Yeah. Um, I don't think they would have opened it up just to, like, have a wide open gate while they were doing the ceremony. Yeah. Um, but that is a good question. I I don't I don't know. I didn't, is it maybe I like, did is not it maybe, come up with an answer. Is it maybe like Abydos, do you think? Because that was sort of one of Daniel's homes possibly like maybe they got in touch with people on Abydos and were like hey we're gonna send this thing through I don't know oh and then inform everybody on Abydos that he was dead yeah Ooh. hmm I mean that would make sense I think that would make the most sense okay also I was wondering how much time had passed since between between the them coming back and reporting Daniel was dead and then, well, basically the whole timeline, really, of the, how the whole episode plays out. But yeah, yeah. at least, you know, the, the supposed death of Daniel into the ceremony. Hmm. Because it's only because they do all that. And then it's not until after that, that the rest of them start to question whether or not he's really dead. Yeah. I kind of always took the memorial as being kind of like the next day maybe or maybe like sort of a day of rest and then this memorial happening okay yes yeah, so quick so i don't know how soon those things i don't know yeah i mean i don't think it's like a week later or anything no. given what is going to happen very shortly um, yeah well also given like it's not like they could really notify family or anything I mean, he doesn't have any family, so there, yeah, there's nobody on Earth to tell, so they don't really have to like wait 
you know, mm-hmm. on anybody. Okay. I don't know. Um, anyway, uh, so after the wreath goes through, then Hammond gives a eulogy and he says, we commend Daniel Jackson's spirit to the universe he opened up for us. I pledge to continue our journey of discovery in his memory. May he rest in peace. And then uh, Jack and Sam like let go of the wreath and it sort of slowly gets like sucked into the wormhole. And we get that cool effect again of the camera like pushing just like straight through the wormhole and it starts to go through and then it fades into Daniel laying on the ground somewhere else stopping wet. Guess what? He's not dead. What? Surprise. He's not dead. Um, He stands up and like, you know, calls out for his team, but of course nobody's there. So where's Daniel? Apparently he's still back on the planet and they left him behind. So, yeah. Um, Back on earth, we are at Jack's house for a wake and we get kind of a funny moment of like Sam trying to explain a wake to Tilk who he's like, you know, usually people are dead when we have funerals. He's like, it's just called awake. It's like a party. They're not like, not like awake, wake, you know, <laughs> kind of a thing. Um, but then, and we also get our first sighting of like Tilk in earth clothes with the, you know, ever ridiculous hat to try and, you know, hide his Jaffa mark on his forehead. And Jack is telling a funny story about what happened when they went back to Abydos and like the kiss that Jare like just laid on Daniel before they went to go um, look at the giant, like, you know, the cartouche in with all the addresses on it and everything, um, <laughs> which is just funny. Uh, I did, like, and then, back of that. that yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's always nice. Mm-hmm. So Sam and Till come over and Jack pours Sam a beer and sort of as the beer's like bubbling in the glass, he seems to be kind of like entranced by it. And we get this like flashback of like bubbles and then Daniel being engulfed in flames and calling out for him. And he like the beer like overflows the glass and he just like slams the beer down on the table and like heads outside. So, yeah, something's going on. Um, back to Daniel, he's kind of just looking around at this room, wherever he is. He turns around and there's this fish man standing there, fish man creature thing. Uh, he introduces himself as he always does, you know, Daniel Jackson, me, nothing from the other guy. He tries to ask about the rest of his team, but, uh, the creature just like pushes a button or something, and there's a panel on the wall that slides open to reveal some writing, and he points at it. Uh, here's another fun fact. The guy in the fish costume is Gerard Plunkett. You probably know him as Tuplo from the Land of Light in the Broca Divide. He was the father who had sent his daughter to the dark side. Really? Yeah, that's him. I do love it when they have actors play more than one character. Yes, it's always fun. I like it. Yeah. Um, Excellent fun fact. Yes. So um, Daniel goes to look at it and tells the creature that it's cuneiform, which is like the first kind of writing ever found on Earth. And so the creature just like points at it again. And Daniel's like, okay, apparently he wants me to like decipher this. So he starts thinking out loud basically about what it is. And he mentions sort of out loud that it's Akkadian, not Sumerian. And he starts slowly translating it. And we get the words reveal, fate, omoraka. 
So, would you like to know some fun facts about cuneiform? Oh, you know I would. Okay. So, here's probably one of the most interesting facts when I was, like, looking into cuneiform because, you know, Daniel mentions, like, it's Akkadian, not Sumerian. Okay, so what's the difference? But, like, how old do you think cuneiform is, both with how old it is and then, like, how recent it was used? Oh, I wouldn't even have any sort of fathom of a guess. Okay. So, but you think cuneiform is, like, an ancient language, right? Mm -hmm, Sure. Okay. So, it first came into use about 3500 BC during the Bronze Age, but... The most recent cuneiform tablet was an astronomical text from 75 AD. Wow, it, really? That's a long time. Yeah. It was in use from like 3500 BC to 75 AD, at least as a written language. But the ability to read cuneiform may have lasted until like the 300s, like the third century AD. Oh, wow. That is interesting. I'm like, that's really cool. because a really long time to have the same writing. Yeah. So, but like looking, so like looking into it, so it was originally developed to write the Sumerian language of Southern Mesopotamia, um, which is the Sumerian reference that Daniel says, but Daniel says that this cuneiform is Akkadian. So Akkadian cuneiform actually makes up the bulk of the cuneiform record that we actually have here. And Akkadian cuneiform was adapted from the Sumerian cuneiform to write their spoken language, which was Hittite. So, and the Hittites were from Northern Mesopotamia. And so it seems like cuneiform sort of started in sort of this one area and then it kind of branched out and people were like, oh, we don't have a way to write. Let's use that. And then just sort of adapted the written language to however their spoken language worked because it was just sort of Um, Well, it started as like a pictographic language, like hieroglyphs are, but then sort of developed into like syllables and like sounds, not really like letters like we have today. So they were able to just sort of adapt the cuneiform written language to how their spoken language was phonetically. Oh, interesting. And then, yeah, kind of spread all over. And I think that's probably why it was in use for so long, because it was just syllables and stuff. So it's like, okay, my language makes these sounds, so I will use the written syllables that make those sounds. And there you go. Yeah. Um, So, but back to what Daniel's translating. So we get reveal, fate, omoroka. Daniel's like, what's, what's Omaraka? Who, like, he has no idea. And he's not getting any answers. And the guy, the fish guy, just, like, keeps pointing at the text. And he's like, I don't, don't know what you want. Like, I reveal fate, what's Omaraka? Who's Omaraka? Like, and they're just kind of, like, getting angry at each other. And the fish creature, like, holds out his hand and, like, screams and, like, blasts Daniel back with some kind of force field Fishman thing. Fishman power thing. And Daniel just like slams into the wall and falls to the ground and is just like looking up at him at the camera. Like, I don't know what you want. Like, tell me what you want. And sidebar, Daniel is very pretty in this episode with just lots of, there's lots of very nice close-ups on Michael Shanks in this episode. (laughs) He's not wearing his glasses, though, is he? He's not wearing his glasses. No, it's got lots of blue eyes and the long hair and he's wet and it's, yeah, it's very nice. (laughs) This one um, is rated a Michael Shanks 10. Oh, yes. This is this is a very good Michael Shanks episode. <laughs> uh, 
So um, back on Earth, Jack is out on his driveway kind of like playing hockey by himself. He's just kind of like hockey stick and like firing balls into like a net. And he just keeps getting angrier and angrier. And then Rachel like smashes the driver's side window of one of the cars that's in his way. And Hammond like comes over to talk to him. And apparently Jack is thinking about retiring because he lost one of his men in the field. And Hammond's like, I can't let you do that just yet because they have to like go shut down Daniel's apartment, both as a matter of national security and because they're the closest thing that Daniel has to a family. So, all right, go do that. Um, also, and also, okay, yeah, timeline question. How yes. long would it take to get all this stuff arranged? I'm like, by the way, you have to go go through his entire house. Um, I mean, it's probably just a matter of getting a crap ton of boxes. And, I mean, it'd probably take, you know, a couple days or so to go through everything, because Daniel's got a lot of stuff in his apartment, as we'll see later. But are we thinking this whole timeline is maybe, like, a week? Yeah-ish. That is a short period of time. There's <laughs> a lot that's happening in this week. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, but then there's also, like, sort of what's the timeline? Because it seems like more time is passing on Earth than is passing, like, where Daniel is. Oh, yeah, that seems so, just like an afternoon. You know, yeah, that seems like a day, maybe two. But, yeah, it seems like a week on Earth. I don't know. Yeah, the timelines are a little not quite matching, I don't think. Right. Um, but also that car window that Jack smashed, that was Hammond's car. So. Oh. <laughs> yes. I didn't remember that. Yes. <laughs> Does he say that? Yeah, and as they're walking away, the Hammond's car. like, but you know that was my car, right? And Jack's like, yeah, sorry, sorry. No, I didn't remember that. That's funny. Yeah. Um, that's that's one of those things where I wondered, like, was that in the script or was that just, like, Don and Rick having fun on the day? Like, that's my car. <laughs> that's my car. Uh, anyway, so back to Daniel. And there's more panels of cuneiform on the wall. Some more translating. And Daniel's going, if a free man accuses another of murder and fails to prove, the accuser shall be put to death. Which, cool, super interesting, what Daniel's like, what does this have to do with me? Like, what, what do you, like, why am I, what does this have to do with me? That's great. And finally the creature speaks and he goes, what speech? And so Daniel thinks he's talking about like the writing on the wall and he says, Oh, this, this, this is Acadian. And the fish man's like, no, what speech? And like points to Daniel and he goes, Oh, this is English. I'm, I'm speaking English. And so then the fish dude who we never learned his name until at the very, very end when Daniel calls him his name, even though he's never told his name, but his name is Nem, N-E-M is the fish dude. Um, Nem goes, what fate Amaroka? And Daniel's like, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. How am I supposed to know this? So the creature's just like, Argh! like very frustrated, uh, crosses the room, um, pulls a handle like next to another panel that opens to reveal a cup with something inside. Apparently this is nourishment for him. Then he pulls out like a hard plastic bed thing from another section of the wall and this is sleep. And then he goes to leave when Daniel finally speaks up and he's like, I can't tell you what I don't know. And then goes, you will, or you will die. Dun, dun, dun. So which is all, which is always a good answer to, I can't tell you because I have no idea what you're talking about. You will. 
I would like to use that someday. <laughs> Working on interrogation <laughs> techniques? <laughs> like at work or something when I'm asking a coworker <laughs> or something. Hey, do you know what this do you know what this email means? Can't tell you what I don't know. You will. <laughs> uh, yeah. It just seems like it could work in so many different situations. You will. But you will. I don't know, but you will. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know how many calories are in this drink? No. You will! <laughs> uh, to that, you would just be like, okay, four. Okay. <laughs> and Okay, thanks. Bye, thanks. <laughs> it's when you just make something up. Yep. Uh, so, back on Earth, and SG-1 is at Daniel's apartment packing things up, and apparently Daniel kept journals for every mission that they went on. And Tilk is sitting on the couch uh, looking at what looks like a game. It's like a board that's covered in holes with like tall sticks of um, with like the heads of jackals and hounds on them. And it's a game from ancient Egyptian called, wait for it, the jackal and the hound. And yeah. Tilk says it was a game that would have belonged to a pharaoh's daughter and like he would play it with Daniel. Would you like to know some more about the jackal and the hound? I would love to know some more about the Jackal and the Hound. Okay, so the first complete set of this game was discovered in 1910 by the British archaeologist Howard Carter and is now on display in the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. He's the one who named it based on the shape of the pieces. And according to the various sources I was reading, they say that we have no idea what the original name of the game was, but on several specimens that have been found, because apparently this has now been found like all over the place. There's like tons of these things out there. Oh, the, cool. word, the word Shen can be found in hieroglyphs around one of like the larger holes in the game. Um, so I'm like, well, then why can't, why isn't that the name of the game? Shen? Because then I looked up, okay, so what does Shen mean? Apparently Shen is a hieroglyph with that looks like it's like a circle with a line under it and it means encircle like to encircle something and if you look at the board it seems like the pieces would sort of travel in like a circle like shape from like this there's like a starting point and then an ending point um so like the pieces would encircle the board so why can we not maybe go with that the name of the game is shen i don't understand why people don't like that unless there's some piece of information that I'm missing um I don't know maybe it would just uh, confuse people oh, maybe Shen what you know the jackal and the hound game uh. <laughs> so um while we don't know like the exact rules of how the game would work it's fairly obvious that the game was played by two players because there's sort of two sets of pieces um and the board is made up of two sets of 29 holes and the pieces are 10 small sticks with either a jackal or a dog head, and each player would take five. And what it seems to be the aim of the game would have been to sort of start at one end of like the 29 holes and then make your way around to the last hole. But we there's no record about, you know, sort of how or why the pieces would be moved. But it it seems like it might be kind of similar to cribbage, if you know how to play cribbage. I do not. Okay. Well, there it involves like a deck of cards and you move pieces like around a track, kind of like that. I used, I used to have a cribbage board when I was like in high school, I think. Um, but yeah, so there's like sticks and you move them around the board in like 
particular peg holes. And then the first one to the end wins. Hmm. And that's the Jackal and the Hound. Cool. Possibly AKA Shen. I don't know. Um, <laughs> You're just claiming it. It's, it's Shen now. I have decided I am not an archaeologist or an Egyptologist or anybody that knows anything at all, but I say the name is Shen. Shen it is. <laughs> yeah. Because there have also been other sets of this game found with like other animals on the heads of the pieces. They're not all jackals and hounds. So I don't know why the game would be called the Jekyll and the Hound if there have been games found with other animals on the pieces. It's very true. So, I don't know. Anyway, back in Daniel's apartment, Sam goes to San... Sam? Sam? <laughs> Tilk is tracking Shackle? Tilk's tracking Shackle. <laughs> uh, so Sam goes to stand in front of Daniel's fish tank, and then she has that same flashback vision thing that Jack had earlier of Daniel getting engulfed in the flames. And Jack's like, yeah, I had it too. And apparently so has Tilk. And so Jack's like, okay, are we ready to admit that something's wrong and maybe Daniel isn't actually dead? And Sam and Tilk are like, I don't don't know. But so they're starting to think that there's more going on here than just Daniel's dead and like burned up on the planet. So um, back on the planet, Nem comes back and Daniel asks after his friends again And Nem says that they're gone, and he gave them the memory that Daniel has died. And apparently Nem can finally speak English now. And Daniel's just like, why why are you doing this? Like, why am I here? What, like, what do you want from me? Like, why did you, like, send my friends away and keep me here? And apparently Nem thinks that Daniel has knowledge of what happened to Omaraka, his mate, back on Earth in Babylon. And Daniel's like, that was 4,000 years ago. Do you know how much has just been lost in that time? And Nem just like doesn't believe him and thinks Daniel serves the ghoul. And Daniel's like, oh, no, hell no. Mm-mm. They took my mate. I lost my mate to the ghoul. I do not serve the ghoul. And Nem tries to ask again what fate Amorok. And he's like, I don't know. Like, don't stop asking that question because I don't have an answer. And they're just like, so like mad at each other because Nem thinks Daniel is lying. And Daniel's just like, I I don't have the answer to the question you keep asking me. So stop asking me and let me go. It's very, it's very tense in there between them. Like whatever's going on, it's very tense. Yeah. And you got to wonder how, how much time I I keep coming back to the time thing. I'm going to be the time Lord of this episode. But like, <laughs> I was the time lord of this episode. I will okay. cross pollinate with different sci-fi shows. <laughs> um, uh, but okay, so if Nem is obviously thousands of years old, but does time move differently where they are? And maybe that's all. Maybe it was a crazy genius move of having the events of the planet only look like it takes place in like a day, but everything else on earth looks like it takes place in like a week or two, because then we really Mm. can kind of think like, Oh yeah. Thousands of years have happened over here. And maybe it was like a month over there. Oh, that's interesting. Like either his, like his plan is on a completely different time scale or he's like in a little time bubble in his house or something. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Which we'll come back to that in a minute. In a little bit. That may have something. So back in the SGC infirmary, apparently 
uh, Dr. Fraser has done like further detailed like brain scans of SG1, and they apparently all have very low levels of serotonin. And also, strangely enough, on the actual like brain scan, they all have this dark spot in the exact same spot in their cortex, which if it was like just one of them wouldn't be a big deal. It could just be written off as an anomaly. But because all three of them have it in the exact same spot, something's going on. And she starts to go into it a little bit further when suddenly, again, the off-world activation alarm sounds and SG-1 just like books it to the gate room. And Dr. Frazier's like, wait, what? where do you, where you stop? Come back, please. And so we run into the gate room with SG-1 and we see who appears to be Daniel coming down the ramp and taking his helmet off and it pans to SG-1 and then it pans back and it's not Daniel. It's like a huge, big, like buff, tall, bald guy who looks nothing like Michael Shanks. Um, but it's just SG-6 coming back from their mission at their scheduled time. But for some reason, all of SG-1 thought it was going to be Daniel coming back. So what the hell's going on? Still weirdness. Still weirdness. Uh, Hammond comes into the gate room because he's like, why are you guys here? And like Fraser and the team let him in that there seems to be um, some uncertainty about if Daniel's actually dead or not. And Jack starts to insist that they have to go back when he like doubles over in pain and just gets taken back to the infirmary and Hammond orders Dr. Fraser to get to the bottom of this. So there seems to be something going on whenever anybody of SG-1 like, wants to go back to the planet they just are in pain no don't bad don't do this so something's going on we gotta get to the bottom of it back on the planet daniel seems to be trying to escape he's like playing with what might be a doorknob kind of thing when nem returns and daniel decides to basically go into what i call help me help you mode where like whatever they were doing for wasn't working and so he's like okay you want to know what happened to Omaroka. I need more information or like context about what happened when you like lost her. So tell me what you know, and maybe I'll know something. So here's what happened, apparent according to Nem. Uh, Omaroka came to Earth to help the people fight the Gould, and she was afraid of somebody named Bellis in Babylon. Omaraka never returned, and Nem believed that she failed. And Daniel's like, no, no, she didn't. So Daniel tells him about the uprising in Egypt, and that maybe she had a hand in sort of planting that seed of rebellion. And Nem still doesn't quite believe that he's not working for the ghoul because Tilka's is Jaffa, and he's with them. And Daniel's like, no, 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 no. Tilk like rebelled. Tilk hates the ghoul too, and like very excitedly tells Nem that like Earth is free of the ghoul and like, come with me. I'll show you like, come with me to earth and we, I can show you what's going on. But Nem doesn't care. He just wants the knowledge of Babylon and Omaraka that is apparently somewhere deep inside Daniel's head. So. Which makes total sense. Yes. Uh, would you like some information about Bellis? I would love some information about Bellis. I was just saying to myself, who is this Bellis person? Okay. So there's some interesting stuff about Bellis. So um, Bellis is a possible either historical king of Babylon or a sort of misinterpretation of 
like mistranslation of the Babylonian god Bel Marduk, which, if you remember, Marduk was mentioned in, in Thor's hammer as the ghoul from Kendra's planet, who like took Kendra and made her a ghoul. Mm-hmm. And so the word Bel just means Lord. So Bel Marduk would be like Lord Marduk. Um, so Bellus is then possibly just a sort of mistranslation of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like linguistically Bellus is just a title that means Lord or master from Mesopotamia. And, but when Bellus was like written, like in any written record where that name appears, it's been, um, like, deciphered and like agreed to specifically mean Marduk. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's possible that Bellis and Marduk are the same Gould. Okay. Yeah. So um, Amaroka, also interestingly enough, um, she's part of the creation myth um, from Babylon. And I'm just going to read this thing because it's like, it's really cool about like who Omaraka was. Um, so this is from Barosis in the first book of his history of Babylon. So he says, there was a time in which there existed nothing but darkness and an abyss of waters wherein resided most hideous beings, which were, which were produced of a twofold principle. There appeared men, some of whom were furnished with two wings, others with four and with two faces. They had one body but two heads, the one that of a man, the other of a woman, and likewise in their several organs, both male and female. Other human figures were to be seen with the legs and horns of goats. Some had horses' feet, while others united the hindquarters of a horse with the body of a man, resembling in shape the hippocentaurs. Bulls likewise were bred there with the heads of men and dogs with fourfold bodies, terminated in their extremities with the tails of fishes. Horses also with the heads of dogs, men too, and other animals with the heads and bodies of horses and the tails of fishes. In short, there were creatures in which were combined the limbs of every species of animals. In addition to these, fishes, reptiles, serpents, with other monstrous animals, which assumed each other's shapes and countenance, of all which were perceived delineations in the temple of Belus at Babylon. The person who presided over them was a woman named Amaroka which in the Chaldean language is Thaleth, Thaleth, in Greek Thalassa, the sea, but which might equally be interpreted the moon. All things being in this situation, Belus came and cut the woman asunder, and of one half of her he formed the earth, and of the other half the heavens, and at the same time destroyed the animals within her. So, Omaroka was basically the creator of heaven and earth, And interestingly enough, she's also known as Tiamat, which also from Thor's hammer, uh, when we talked about Marduk, Marduk destroyed Tiamat. So it seems that like Marduk, Belus are the same person and then Tiamat and Omoroka are the same person. Ah, so the legend continues. The legend continues. So yes. Um, so back at the SGC, uh, Dr. McKenzie has been brought in and they're sitting around the briefing room table with SG1 and Hammond and Dr. Frazier. And there's like, for you young kids out there, there's this thing called a reel to reel tape, 
which is playing the sound of like ocean waves. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh, it's funny because it's there. true. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm old enough that we used to listen to Christmas music on reel-to-reel tapes when I was little. Hey. Um, yeah. Um, and Jack doesn't, and they're like, you know, maybe the waves will sort of help uncover some memories maybe of what happened on the mission. And Jack's like, yeah, I don't really think so. But then it sort of pans over to Tilk and he's just like hands on the table staring like really, really intensely and like having the same flashback that Jack and Sam had. And apparently, so they all know Daniel is dead, but they also know that he's alive. And Hammond's like, well, you got to figure out what's going on before I can let you like go anywhere and like do anything. Basically, he wants to make sure they're all okay before he sends them out, which is great. I'm with Hammond on this. Like, yes, I want them to go back and get Daniel, but also make sure they don't like go crazy or something while they're out there. Yeah, that would not be good. Don't yeah. bring the crazy back home. No. <laughs> So back on the planet, Daniel asks Nem how he made Daniel's friends think that he was dead. And apparently Nem like just implanted the memory of his death. And Daniel's like, okay, if you can like manipulate memories, why don't you just go into my brain and take out the memory you say I have of what happened to Omaroka? And Nem actually kind of doesn't want to because he thinks it would cause too much damage, which I mean, okay point for them there not wanting to like harm Daniel and then I was like well I don't have 4,000 years to try and remember like a paragraph in a book I read 12 years ago so let's I'm gonna go with the bore into my memories and take it out thing and then warns that there will be much pain and then there's again another very pretty close-up of Michael Shanks hair and stubble and blue eyes and he's like, well, I would rather die than live with the knowledge that I would never see my wife or friends again. And you're just like, oh, Michael, it's Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I get I get very fangirl. The wound. The wound. Yes. Michael uh, Shanks, you're pretty. He's so pretty. He is. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I'm not sorry. Don't be sorry. No. I'm not sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> so back at the SGC, SG1 is going over what happened with Hammond again and finally Hammond eventually asked them how long they think they were gone and they all agree that was about half an hour and Hammond tells them it was actually four hours so what what happened to the other three and a half hours so maybe there is a weird time thing on that planet possibly Mm. so doctors Fraser and Mackenzie want to try hypnosis and Jack just doesn't believe in that stuff. And then this is where he says the whole, let's just do this the old fashioned way and request permission from Hammond to go back to the gate to find Daniel. And Tilk and Sam both go just like, no, we can't do that. Like very vehemently, very strongly. And then as soon as they say those words, Sam sits back and is like, I don't know why I just said that. So somebody's been messing with their brains, their memories somehow. And hypnosis kind of seems to be the only way to find out what that is. And so Sam volunteers to be hypnotized because she apparently did some sort of hypnosis thing in grad school. Have you ever been hypnotized? Nope. Have you? No, I never have. I never thought it would work. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really. Even when they have, you know, hypnotists come to do like an event or something. Never, never volunteered. No, I do remember in college, um, you know, we had like a magician hypnotist come and people are up on stage, but then like a couple people in the audience just like got hypnotized, even though they weren't like the intended 
hypnotized uh, like, target. <laughs> so that's that funny. Really yeah, that was kind of weird. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I want to get hypnotized. I don't. I don't like the idea of it. Kind of like Jack says, the whole like somebody making me do something like without my even if it's just you know quack like a duck or jump up and down like I don't mm, no thanks no not for me mm. okay yeah. You think um, a hypnotist would be able to make you do something you didn't want to do? I thought that was the whole thing of hypnotism. Well, I mean, yeah, but just, I mean, okay, maybe not the do thing I don't want to, but makes me do things without my full consent, I suppose, uh, might be a better way to say it. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. What about you? Would you want to be hypnotized? I think maybe like, I don't know, one of those, if it was like funny at a party, maybe, but... Okay. But I, I honestly never did it because I didn't think it would work. Yeah. I think hypnotism is one of the things you have to believe in and, like, yeah. believe it will work in order for it to work. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, so apparently Sam believes in it, though. Uh, so she's sitting in a chair in the infirmary and Dr. McKenzie's there and there's, like, this light sort of slowly flashing like on her face as her eyes are closed and he's like taking her back through the mission and he's like, you know, tell us what happened. And the first thing she blurts out is the whole Daniel's burning thing. And Mackenzie's like, no, go back further. Like what happened when you first got there? And she sees, she says she sees water. And so then we sort of go like into the memory and we see what's happening. And so we see SG one on the planet walking on a beach sort of towards the water's edge and there are what appear to be small, like, volcanic vents all around and, like, a gas giant in the sky. So apparently this planet is actually a moon. Sam is taking soil samples as Daniel just is sort of taking video of the landscape. And there's um, some bubbling out in the water and it's sort of in this path heading straight for them. And we see Nem then emerge from the ocean and look at them and comes over to them. And he sort of looks at each of them and then he goes and touches Tilk's stomach and seems to sense the like symbiote inside. And he bends down to write something in the sand and it's cuneiform. Uh, Daniel seems to interpret the writing as them asking if they're from the world that built Babylon. And Daniel writes something back. I'm guessing whatever the cuneiform for yes is. And Nem does not look very happy about that. And Daniel starts to do the whole introduction thing when Nem does that thing again where he holds his hand out and blasts them with some sort of force field light thing as he screams. And SG-1 all fall down and they seem to still be conscious but like stunned. And then after that we get this like montage of SG-1 being strapped to some kind of machinery in like Nem's house and like lights being into their heads so this is apparently the alteration of their memories of Daniel dying and then back in like the present Sam screams again about needing to get to the water as SG-1 in her memory like emerge from underwater from escaping Nem's house and Sam's like oh my god we left him behind and Jack's like yeah I know and Jack like hugs her because she's completely distraught that they just left him behind and insist that they're going to go back. So they've apparently broken through whatever sort of memory block is there, and they're going to go back and get Daniel. Did so. you ever think about what an odd machine to have in your house? <laughs> 
get, why would he need that? Why would he have a machine that alters memories? Yeah, because he seems to be like the only one there. I don't know. It did, it did seem pretty out there of like, of all the things I have in my house. Oh yeah, it's just a machine you strap you in and put memories in your brain. Yeah. I wonder if it would make more sense if it was just like, like almost like a hypnosis thing. Like he just had the ability naturally to do that, you know, to, yeah, do, you know, some kind of mind control hypnosis thing, if that might make a little more sense than this weird machinery thing. Yeah, I think I think the stretch of of belief would have gone better if, yeah. if it was just something the fish man could do. <laughs> yes. Um so back in Nem's home, um, Daniel is strapped into what's probably that same machine and it looks very uncomfortable. Like it's like all hard plastic and he's like arched back really like sharply and like his head is like tilted back really far and he's all like, stra- it just, it does not look like Michael Shanks would have liked being strapped to that for, you know, several hours it took to film this scene. Um, and so Nem is starting the memory extraction process and he tells Daniel to remember Omaroka and Daniel starts kind of just babbling various memories of things he's read about like Babylon and Bellas and Omaroka as they're sort of like pulled out of his brain. And one of the things Daniel says is that she was one of the people of owns and he's in a great deal of pain and is like kind of like, ah, 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 uh, and then just like, turns the device up higher as Daniel keeps babbling. And finally, Daniel gets to the memory that he read that I had read earlier about Bellis ripping Omaroka asunder. And so Bellis killed Omaroka. And Nem is very, like, shocked and saddened by this, but, like, is with it enough to, like, turn off the machine and unstrap Daniel. So we do get the confirmation that Bellis was a ghoul and he murdered Omaroka and Nem like calls out in despair is like, ah, I, I can't do the thing that he does because I'm not a fish man monster thing. Um, but <laughs> it's I mean, it's very sad because this like his wife was, you know, killed by a ghoul when she went to like go try and help the people on Earth. And it's it's very sad. Oh, very sad. I wonder why Nem never even went after her. Yeah, I don't know. Well, if he doesn't know it's been 4,000 years, maybe, you know, like, we don't know how time passes. And we don't know him. how long it's been for him. Yeah. So, um, so owns is one of the things Daniel says. Would you like to know more about owns? I would love to. Okay. So owns, spelled O-A-N-N-E-S. Uh, is from Mesopotamian mythology and is an amphibious being, makes sense, uh, who taught mankind wisdom. Owns was described that by the Babylonian priest Barosis as having the form of a fish, but with the head of a man under his fish's head and under his fish's tail, the feet of a man. So I think this is where, you know, the makeup team got how to make Nem look like Nem. Mm-hmm. Um, and it said that in the daytime, he came up to the shore of the Persian Gulf and instructed mankind in writing the arts and the sciences. So Owens was a good guy. Hey. Yeah. Um, so back on the surface of this planet now, SG-1 is back and they're 
running towards the water, yelling for Daniel. Uh, when Nem comes up out of the sea and we sort of go back underwater briefly as Daniel kind of pokes at like the, the quoting the windows of Nem's house. And it turns out there's just this kind of, I guess, force field thing that uh, Daniel's able to push through. So he gets out of Nem's house and then he surfaces like a bond girl <laughs> coming up out of the water, <laughs> like throwing his hair back. It's glorious. Pretty Michael Shanks. Uh, pretty so Michael Shanks. pretty. Pretty Michael Shanks. And he's like, no, stop, don't shoot. And like finally makes his way to shore with Nem. And Daniel's like, you have to, I told you what I can. I'm sorry, but please, you know, let us go. And Nem finally agrees to, you know, let them go back and not, you know, mess with their memories anymore. And Daniel says that you know, they could still be friends because that's, you know, why they came. They came to be friends. And he goes, perhaps in time and perhaps in time, Daniel will find what fate share. So mm, lovely. And so Nem goes back underwater to his home and Daniel turns to his team and is like, this is this is a very, very long story. And Jack's like, why don't you tell us about it over sushi? Ah, yeah. Oh, Jack. Ah, but first, Daniel needs some sleep. Ah, yes, home. Um, funny story about that, Daniel. Uh, I don't have a home anymore right now. But uh, Jack said some very lovely things about you at the memorial. And it's like, there was a memorial? And then we fade to black and the end. And also, thus started a million fix of Daniel going to live with Jack after returning to Earth and then um, staying with with Jack. And yeah, the end. Yeah. And <laughs> oh, this was just so classically like, oh, you, you're so silly. We thought you were dead. <laughs> nope. Yep. So... <laughs> It's almost uh, like those like '50s sitcoms where you just you just need the laugh track over the top. And also that like uh, you know at the end of those old sitcoms where it just like you know closed into the circle before yeah. it, like you know faded to black, whatever that effect is called. Yeah. Oh, it was yeah. just so classically of like we thought you were dead. Gosh darn it! Look at you. You're right in front of me. Oh, yeah. Well, let's get your sandwich. You solved your house, but hey, we still got all your stuff in storage. <laughs> we hadn't got a chance to sell it yet <laughs> yep uh so all right so uh title of the episode fire and water and fairly straightforward There's, yeah you know, also, also i'm not sure this one needs much explaining yeah i did look into just like you know fire and water and like pop culture if you want some fun like tidbits and like fire and water and pop culture did game of thrones come up uh it did yes there's lots of fire and water in mm -hmm. game of thrones mm -hmm. um apparently uh shakespeare at one point supposedly said like just like shakespeare not like in a play uh at one point said a woman would run through fire and water for such a kind heart of some uh, you know referring to like a man with a kind heart a woman would run through fire and water um fire and water is the title of the 14th chapter of the hobbit and this is the chapter where smog goes and attacks lake town Oh, thanks. there. 
if you remember Constantine, it's touched on briefly in the movie. I'm sure it's touched on more in the comic book where it's explained that water is a universal conduit that can facilitate transportation to hell, which is, you know, fire and brimstone. So, mm. you know, he has to like sort of keep one foot in water whenever he like goes to like visit hell. Is that? Oh. Yes. Uh, in Pacific mythology, Pele, the fire goddess, is in constant battle with her sister Namaka, the ocean goddess. And this is how, like, Hawaii was created with the, the you know, fire, lava, water, cooling islands thing. And fire and water are often seen as elements of purification, both in, like, different senses of the word. It's There's a lot in Dante with fire and water in hell and stuff. And, yeah, that's all I got. That is a lot. That's a lot yeah. to have. And there, and there's more. I could keep going, but I won't. No, man. I'll, I'll save you. Calm yourself. Simmer down. <laughs> but there's, oh, there's so much to tell you. <laughs> Simmer back down. <sighs> okay. All right. So what did you think of Fire and Water? I liked this one. Me too. I do it. I did. I did remember that one when when it came up. I was like, ah, oh, this one, which you know seems to be happening every time. But sometimes I will watch them and I'm like, ah, oh, this one, like in a oh, that's right, this bugged me. But this one, I was like, oh yeah, you know, like in a happy one because it's like the, I don't. It just reminded me of like Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah, it's like there's kind of. stakes, but it's still like fun in a way. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, because we're like, we're in on it and that we know the stakes aren't really real. Like, we're like, there's a bit of a, ooh, ooh, well, she wouldn't break it and like go back and get him. But, you know, they will. Mm -hmm. But like how? And yeah, it's not too like dramatic. Like, how will our heroes get out of this one? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Any memos from this week? I don't think there's any memos from this week. Um. Make sure that your coworker is actually dead before you sell his apartment. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Make sure they're actually dead. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure all personnel is dead before you start to sell off their assets. Uh, uh, that's a good one. <clears throat> yeah. And or give them a funeral. <laughs> yes. No funerals for people not yet known. To, well, I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I like the other one better about the assets. Make sure they're actually dead before you sell off their stuff. Yes. Uh, all right. Uh, so how would you rate this one? Ooh, on a scale of what? Of, of I don't, whatever you want. Oh, on a scale of... Yeah. To hmm, I found <laughs> I found it to be yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> I I accept that rating. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Any lingering questions or or did we do it? Have we done it? No, we're good. All right. Uh, well, as always, thank you, everybody, for listening. You can find us on Twitter at SG underscore Rewatch or email us at woo, W-O-O-S-G Rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please, so more people can find us. And we will see you next time for Hathor. Bye. Bye. Bye.